listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you got a Bible with you this morning, you can turn with me to Matthew 13. If you're a guest, we've been working through the book of Matthew for the past, I don't know, 30 weeks or so. And uh, we are going, this is going to be the last week in Matthew for a, for a little bit. We're going to take a break for July. It's because some of you are Matthewed out. And so we'll come back in August and pick up where we left off, hopefully finish the book of Matthew by the year 2029 or so, uh, I don't know. But um, we're gonna do some standalones the next couple of weeks, me and Clint. Um, but so this will, we'll take a little break after this. Um, but Matthew 13, we're gonna be in verse 44 and, and beyond. Growing up in the 80s, one of my uh, heroes, someone I wanted to be like, like every boy my age in the 80s, was Indiana Jones. Yep. Because... You know, who doesn't want to go carry a whip and fight the Nazis and find hidden treasure, right? Because that's what archaeologists do. If you ask every boy in the 80s, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be an archaeologist. Pretty sure that's not what archaeologists do, but that's what we all wanted to do. We wanted to carry a whip and and fight the Nazis and find treasure. Um, But there's this great scene in the third and final Indiana Jones. There was a fourth, but it wasn't really a fourth. It doesn't exist, really, if you're a true purist. But uh, in the third Indiana Jones, maybe the last crusade, there's this great scene, the climactic scene, that they are in this kind of room where they've been looking for the Holy Grail. And there's all these different grails and goblets and plates. And there's this knight who's like 800 years old. He's the guardian of the grail. And, And the problem is, they, gotta, they don't know which one's the grail. And the knight says, you must choose, but choose wisely. Because as, as the grail will bring life, as a true grail will bring life, the false one will take it from you. Right? And so you know what happens. The bad guy, he takes the false grail and he's like all, he gets grinded up and he's cleansed a skeleton. And it's like, ah, you know, right? And of course, Indy, because he's Indy, he knows and so what does he do? He looks in the back row in, a, in an honest, he's not looking for gold and, and jewels. He spots, he says, that, that's the cup of a carpenter. That just kind of plain nothing cup, which he grabs, he scoops in the water, drinks it. And you know what happens? The knight says, you chose wisely. And he takes the water and he gives it to 007 who's dying in the other room his dad, <laughs> because Indy always finds a treasure, right? He chose wisely. And, and that's the message that Jesus is going to say today. There is a treasure that is available to everyone in this room, but it may not be the flashy gems, gold, grab the, the prettiest thing. But he says, if you choose poorly, it will take your life from you. But if you choose wisely, it brings life brings life. And so what we want to do is really ask the question, how do we choose wisely? How do we choose wisely? What does that look like? What keeps me from making the wise choice of real treasure? And that's what we're going to talk about today as we unpack Matthew 13, 44 to 52. And if, and if you're again, guests or you've been gone, what Jesus has been talking about is what is the kingdom like? Right? He's been using parables to explain to the crowds, this is what the kingdom of God's like. This is what the kingdom of God's like. This is what the kingdom of God's like. And, and Clint unpacked three parables the last couple of weeks. The kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out and he sows the word of the kingdom. And there's different responses to the kingdom. 
And then he talked about uh, the, the harvest that will be at the end. There's a, there's a field and there's wheat and there's tares. And at the end of the, when the kingdom is, we kind of enter into the final kingdom, there's gonna be a separation, a harvest of good and evil. And then there's the nature of the kingdom of leaven. It's like leaven that starts small and spreads or the mustard seed which starts small and grows into this big plant. And he's been teaching the crowds all these things. And he's gonna continue in that vein with these kingdom parables. But there's a little bit of a difference now. These other parables have been for the crowds and for everybody. And remember, Jesus is speaking in parables so that some people will hear and understand and some people won't because they don't wanna hear. But now, these last parables he's gonna tell, these are different because these are for the insiders. In fact, verse 36 said he left the crowds, he went into the house, and that's when the disciples said, hey, we didn't get that last one. That whole weeds and field thing, we didn't get that. But the the idea is this, and this is why this is significant. These are for those on the inside. Those who say, I'm in. That's what these parables are for. This is for the 12 minus Judas. This is for the ladies, Mary Magdalene and, and, and uh, all the others that are in the room with him, that are already in, that are already bought in, that are in the kingdom. And he's going to encourage them that they have chosen wisely. But by doing that, we're gonna see how do we choose wisely, right? So let me read these three parables. There's just three of them. Two of them are almost identical, very short. And then we'll kind of unpack it and look at it together. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven It's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, because Jesus doesn't explain these parables like he has previously, there's a little bit of a debate on what the first two, especially the pearl of great price and the treasure in a field mean. Some have understood that the one who finds the treasure and the one who finds the pearl, that that is, that is Jesus, that he finds the treasure, his church, his people, and that he gives everything for his people, right? He purchases that pearl by laying down everything. And exegetically, That is absolutely true. Jesus laid down his life in joy so that he would purchase a people for his own, uh, for his own, a bride. So that is true. But I do not think that is the point of these parables because Jesus is not talking about how to get into the kingdom. He's talking to those who are already in the kingdom, right? And so I, I go with a more traditional view of this parable that he's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about something else. And so let's unpack it. Let's look at the first two. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And again, he's using the kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of Jesus. It's not a place yet. It's, a, it's the spiritual reign of Christ. Those who have put themselves under the authority of King Jesus, right? It's a spiritual kingdom now. It will be a physical kingdom one day, but right now it's a spiritual kingdom. He says, that is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man finds. And then he covers it. And then he goes in his joy and buys the field. Now, this is very culturally like, it it sounds actually on the surface super sketchy, doesn't it? Like, what's this dude doing in somebody else's field with a metal detector and a a shovel? I mean, is he not trespassing, right? That's sketchy. 
And who puts treasure in fields anyway these days, right? That's, that's, not, that's not normal. And if he's really a good dude, wouldn't he find the treasure and then go to the owner and say, hey, I found a treasure in your field? There's all sorts of weird cultural things going on, but it's actually not that far from their culture because they don't have banks in those days. No social security, there's no security boxes, there's nothing. It's kind of that money in the mattress idea. In a, in a land that is typically ravaged by war and attacks, if you had something of value and you had to get out of Dodge quickly, what are you gonna do? You're gonna, you're gonna hide it in a field, dig it, put it down there and hope that no one finds it, right? And, and if this guy was really being dishonest, he wouldn't dig up the treasure and then cover it up and buy the field legally because that's what he does. He would just cut the treasure and go. So it's not, it's not really sketchy on the surface, right? Uh, what's going on here is the image of a, just a day laborer, a blue collar guy who is working in a field. The treasure that is there is not the owner's. It was probably a previous owner from years and years and years ago. He doesn't even know it's there, right? So he's working, he finds the treasure. And he says, I want to legally get this. And so what does he do? He goes and legally purchases it. Why? By getting, giving all that he's got. He sells everything he has so that he can legally purchase that field. It's the same idea with the merchant, right? Okay, the only difference is where the first guy is probably a peasant. This guy's probably wealthy. He is a merchant. He, he deals in, in jewelry. He's, he has pearls and he's looking for a one pearl, and after his searching and after his looking, he finally finds that one pearl. And what does he do? He sells all his inventory. He sells everything he has to get that pearl. And there's probably an illusion here of, of Jesus talking about how different people find the kingdom. Some people, it just, they just happen upon it. Other people, they're, they're seeking, they're searching, and they find it. It's very similar to the apostles. Some of the apostles, uh, Jesus just shows up one day, Matthew, and says, you, follow me. He wasn't looking for nothing, but he follows him. Other, other apostles, James, John, these guys are already following John the Baptist. Jesus shows up and it's just a transfer of following. And it's different ways we find the kingdom, right? That, that's the idea. But, but the point is not you know, necessarily who finds who does it. The point is, what's the value? What is the value of pearl? I did a lot of reading on pearls this week because I'm, I'm not a pearl expert. So fascinating, I got down a rabbit trail of pearls. Um, and I, you know the most valuable pearl in the world? is $100 million, $100 million. Found in 2016 by a Filipino fisherman. He dove, went down in the, into the ocean and found, you know, they, are, they have these 300 pound clams or oysters, I can't remember which mollusk, it's a mollusk, it's one of those. And he opens it up and there was a 75 pound pearl. Now it's not a big round pearl, it's not like a big ball, it's like weird shaped. He didn't know what it was. He took it out. He put it under his bed as a good luck charm. He kept it under his bed for years until his shack burned down. And he went in and got his good luck pearl. And they took it to, he took it to the government. And the government's like, oh, this is worth $100 million. He chose poorly, living in a shack with a $100 million pearl under his bed. He now owns a yacht somewhere in Russia. I don't know where he is. But, okay. but pearls are valuable. They're, they're still valuable. They're not as valuable maybe in our culture as diamonds or maybe something like that. But they still have some value. But in this day and age... In the first century, it was like pearl fever because pearls then were very rare, very, very hard to find. The only way to do it in the days before scuba gear, you'd have a guy, he'd tie a rope to his leg with a rock, jump in the water, which is probably not a great idea. And he'd go down to the bottom real deep and search for whatever mollusk he's looking for. And maybe one day he finds a pearl. Pearls were something that the very wealthy would use. In fact, there's a, a historian, uh, Suetonius, wrote that the Roman general Vitellius, he financed an entire military campaign with just one pearl earring of his mother. 
So they're super valuable in that day. And this merchant, whoever he is, he's an expert on pearls. And I don't know how pearl, you know, how do you identify a good pearl? Is it the four C's? I don't know what the, you know, pearls are, right? But he knows pearls and he finally finds one of amazing value. And so he takes all his other stuff and he buys that pearl. And again, don't press the parable further than it's supposed to. Remember, the point of parable is the point of the story. If you miss the point, you miss the whole point of what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that you can buy your way into the kingdom. That's not his point. That's not what he's teaching. He's not teaching. If you're going to go to heaven, you have to, you have to sell everything you have. That's not the point. The point is seen in the similarities of these two parables. What is their response when they find this treasure? When the man finds the treasure, what does he do? It says he went and sold all. Circle that word in your Bible. A-L-L. What does the merchant do? He sells all. A-L-L. What is Jesus teaching? He's teaching how valuable it is to be in the kingdom. Can you imagine the conversation? First guy, honey, he comes home, sell the dog, I don't care. Sell the couches, sell the cars, sell, the, sell your mama's jewelry, sell the house, cash in the 401k. I have found it, right? Same with the merchant. He's got all this inventory, he's got his car, he's got all this, he's a pretty wealthy guy. He comes home, we're selling it all, I found one pearl. What are you gonna do with one pearl? You don't even have a house, it doesn't matter. Sell it all, Sell everything we got, right? I mean, if you saw, if that person came to you, let's be honest, what would you say? They are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They've lost their mind. They're crazy. They've lost it, right? You're selling everything? And Jesus says, but have they? Have they lost their mind? Or are they the most sane person in the room, right? Actually, what Jesus would say is, they actually chose wisely, (laughs) We would say, you chose crazy. Jesus says, no, this is the wise choice, right? And here's what I wanna do. I want you to think about this from your perspective. I know it's hard because we don't have, you know, we're not digging in fields and we're not looking for pearls, right? Think about this. What is your net worth? Now, some of you are like, I don't even know what net worth means, which means your net worth is probably enough to get a biggie bag down at Wendy's. That's what your net worth is, right? And that's fine. But some of you, you, you know, you're middle-class America, Got a house, got a car, a couple cars, maybe you got a little 401k, maybe you got some antiques in the house or some, you know, something your grandma left you or, you know, whatever. Some of you have a net worth that you know what a net worth is because there's a lot of zeros and you got a business and you got a couple of rental properties and you got some cars. And so you, so you got seven zeros. But see, it doesn't really matter if you're the $5 biggie bag or you're seven figures because that's what you have in the narrative. You have peasant, $5 biggie bag, and you got you got seven figures. See, what Jesus' point is this. Whatever you have, whatever your, quote, net worth is, if you were to trade it all in and sell it all in in order to obtain the kingdom, you would have made the deal of the century. The deal of the century. Whether it's 10 million or $10, you stole it. That, that living in the kingdom, that, that knowing Christ, the rule and reign of the omnipotent God of the universe, being your friend, being your God is so infinitely valuable that if you lost everything, your business, your car, your health, your life, in order to gain it, you would have made a steal. That's how valuable 
being in the kingdom is. And the problem, CBC, is I don't think we believe it. At least here. I think we get it here. And I'm sharing my own self. I don't think I get it sometimes. I don't think I believe that in my heart. And you're like, oh my goodness, my pastor's telling me that he does. Yeah. Because if I'm honest, the person I identify sometimes with in the gospels is the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why are you asking me? You know the commandments? Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't da, 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 da. He's like, I don't know those things. And then Jesus says, what? One more thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, follow me, and you will have what? Treasure in heaven. And what does the young man do? He, he walks away sad because he was very rich. Right? And let's be honest, that's, that's me sometimes. Right? Yeah, I mean, I know Jesus is great, but I gotta pay the bills. <laughs> How am I gonna pay for college? I got weddings, I got this, I got that. that, right? that that's where we land. This is why, by the way, Jesus said it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than the guy with the $5 biggie bag because the $5 biggie bag, he doesn't have anything. He was like, yeah, it's a biggie bag and a frosty. I don't care. But a guy that's got 10 million in the bank, it's a big difference, all right? Blessed are the poor. That's why he says. It's easier. That's the point, right? But, but that's, that's, that's why, if you want to choose wisely, here's, how, here's the first way we choose wisely. You choose in light of the future. And I'm not talking about future 10 years from now, 20 years, what's the market gonna do? What's Bitcoin gonna be at? What is the, you know, the ruble versus the dollar? I'm not talking about 10 years, 50 years. I'm talking about choose for 10,000 years from now. What's going to matter in 10,000 years? It's not gonna be what kind of floors you have in your house. It's not gonna be how much is in your 401k. It is not gonna be how many followers you have, how many likes you have, all the places that you visited and you put on Instagram, filtered out. It's not going to be any titles behind your name, CEO, board member, whatever. I mean, who cares? And you think your money means anything in heaven? The streets are made of gold in heaven. Your 401k, it doesn't matter if you have, oh, I have heart pine on my floors. Yeah, does that beat gold? Gold in heaven? Pearl gates? I mean, like pearls that are bigger than this church gates? Your money means nothing in heaven. Your titles, there's only two titles in heaven that matter. King and princes and princesses of the king. That's it. There's only two titles. Nobody cares about, there's no followers in the kingdom. There's one Instagram account in heaven. It says King Jesus and it's a bazillion followers. You don't have any followers. There's no followers. There's one account. It's the only one that matters. Right? All the places that you've, oh, I got to go to the Swiss Alps. I got to go to the Grand Canyon. I got to go to Mexico. Oh, I got to go to all these places. No one cares. You're going to be in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, which puts everything here. It pales, right? And, and that is what he's talking about. What he's saying is everything you have, as nice as it is, compared to the kingdom, is garbage. It's garbage, right? Your leather seats, garbage. Your, your, your rear end warmers, garbage. Your car that drives itself, you can put your hands down. You're crazy, you do that anyway. If you, if you're, has your Microsoft computer ever crashed? Yeah, so you're on I-95 with your hands down? Yeah, you're silly. It's garbage. And this is, look, this is a common theme throughout scripture, the value of knowing Christ in the kingdom. 
Let me just read you a couple passages, just a couple. You can meditate on these this week, write them down. There's, I, I, don't, I had so many, I had to kind of trim it down. But let me just give you a couple. Here's one from David. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And here's his conclusion. More to be desired are they than gold. More to be desired. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. So this is David. You want to know why David was a man after God's own heart? Not because he was a good guy, because he was a murderer, he was an adulterer, he was a liar. But because he had a heart for the things of God and he understood the value. It is better to be this, to know God, than to be the king of Israel. Right? Psalm 84 says, it's a, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I'd rather be a greeter. Remember the presence of God in the Old Testament at the temple. He says, I would rather be the welcome guy outside the temple. I would rather be there than in Cabo for a hundred years. I would rather be there than at the nicest vacation for a thousand years. One day, just close to you, God, is better than a thousand elsewhere. That's the value. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are jars of clay. We bust, we break, we crack, we leak. He says, we have this treasure. What treasure? The gospel treasure. Why? To show that the power belongs to God. Peter, we saw it last year. We we are born again to an inheritance, an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance reserved in heaven for us by God's power. And then he says this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith is what more precious than gold Apostle Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered all as loss and count them as rubbish, right? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, it comes from the law, but it comes through faith. It's constant that God is pointing to the value of the kingdom, the treasure of the kingdom. This is why Job, who was in our terms, a billionaire, a Bill Gates, And he loses it all in one day. I mean, he loses his family except for his wife. He loses his businesses. He loses his houses. He loses all his cars and animals and all these things in one day. And he even loses his health. And he's sitting there in agony with pus dripping out of his arms, scraping himself with a piece of glass, just in agony after suffering emotionally and all this trauma. And he says, naked I came and naked I'll go. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How in the world can he say that? How in the world can he say, I know that my redeemer lives? Why? Because he he gets this at its core. This is why the apostles in book of Acts can be thrashed just for preaching the name of Jesus and they walk away all hunched over like, oh, that was so awesome. Thank you, sir. Can I have another? Why? Because they are found worthy to suffer for his name. And if, if being close to him means I suffer, then it's worth it, right? It's worth it. And the idea is this, if it's, it's praying, Lord, if, if having money and having stuff brings me closer to you, then give it to me. But if it robs me from intimacy and dependency on you, then take it all away because you are enough. That's the heart of this. It's, Lord, I, I want you to remove this struggle, this temptation, this sin, this burden, this, this, this agony in my life, this loss. I want you to remove that away. But if not, if this is what keeps me close to you and clinging to you, then send the ailment, Lord, 
Send the cancer, send the anxiety, send whatever it is, because if it makes me cling to you, your grace is sufficient for me. That is a radical view. That is the view that Jesus is teaching. If having uh, you know, authority and power and, and influence is gonna bring me closer to you and let me point people to you, I'm the captain of the team, I'm successful at this, I make it to the pros, I whatever. If that's gonna help me get to point people to you, then great. But if not, if losing friends and family and relationships on account of the gospel is where it at, then I want, I, just, I choose you. See, this is choosing for the future. This is choosing wisely. This is what Jesus is saying, right? And, and we gotta ask, what keeps us from that perspective? Because that's why it's the difference from here to here. What keeps it from getting from here to here? I think there's two biggies in our culture, and there's probably a thousand more, but let me give you two quick ones. Number one, comfort and security. We love us some comfort and security, right? What's the easiest, what's, what's the least resistance, what costs the least, right? But let me encourage and remind you that the Lord Jesus did not die a horrific death suffering on a cross so that you would have a life of, life of ease. If anything, the opposite is true. That's why he sends the what? Comforter. Because <laughs> there's an implication, you're gonna need it. I'm not saying we choose to be suffering all the time, but you, if you're not willing to, then what, what do you need a comforter for? What do you need a helper for? See, we have a man-centered Christianity that God loves me, God makes me happy, God serves me. God does love you, but not so that he's making much of you. It's so that you can make much of him. He is the beginning and the end. It's all about him. He is the alpha and the omega. That's the point. And so we don't choose for future because I don't, I don't wanna stir the pot. So I, it's easier to tell the little lie than to face the reality of what I've done and own it and confess it, Right? It's easier to just kind of not say anything and not stand up for righteousness or support that person who everyone's picking on because I don't wanna, I don't wanna be the object of the wrath either. I'm not gonna get in the way and defend that person. It's easier to just kind of blend, isn't it? Least resistance. It's too hard to live pure in our culture. I mean, really, it's cheaper to just move in together and live together. I mean, no, this doesn't work on paper. It's easier. It's too hard to fight sin. Right? And I'm not as bad as those people over there, so why should I? I mean, I don't know if I can step out in faith and trust God because I don't know what the end game is. What's gonna happen if I step out? What if I happen to tell my parents that I, I don't wanna be a doctor like my dad? I wanna, I wanna do this. I wanna go serve in this country over here. I wanna, what's gonna happen if I take that step of faith? Comfort, security. And if you're gonna choose wisely, don't choose for five years. Choose for 5,000 years. What matters in 5,000 years? Comfort and security will keep you from choosing wisely. Another thing will choose to keep you is, is stuff. It's materialism, isn't it? Right? I, I have to have it. I want it. I need it. I deserve it. I can't afford it. So I'll put it on credit and pay 25% interest for the next 30 years. That's, that's what we live. And we've talked enough about this. Jesus says, you want to check where your heart is? Look at your wallet. But I'll say this. If your streaming services per month costs more than you invest in the kingdom of heaven, you may have an issue. If your $5 over-roasted, over-priced coffee that you have to have every day on the way to work, times that by five, times that by four and a half weeks, your $125 you're spending on lousy, over-roasted coffee, which you don't even drink anyway, you put so much sugar in it, it's like a Coke. If, if you're giving more to that then you are investing in the kingdom of God. 
then, then you, may have, you may have a choosing issue, right? And what you're saying to Jesus is, I don't believe you. I don't believe that the pearl is worth it because I need my coffee. I need my, I need my Netflix. I need my fill in the blank, right? I mean, I know that person has a need, but I'm busy. I know I need to serve them, but I, I just, I'm tired. And what you're saying is, Treasure is not the treasure. What you're saying is, this brings me joy, Jesus, not you. And that leads to the second thing. We choose for the future, but we also choose for joy. You wanna you want choose wisely? Choose for the future, but also choose for joy. Isn't it interesting, this first guy, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his reluctancy and his hesitancy, he went, no, 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 no. He cannot wait to sell the car. And he's, and he's not worried about how, how we got to sell that car. Well, let's sell it for five grand. But we paid 25 grand for it. It doesn't matter. He's not worried about the cost. Why? Because he knows what he is getting. And so it's so infinitely more valuable that he's willing to take the hit. Right? We are so worried about the cost. What's going to cost me? What's going to cost me? What's going to cost me? And Jesus said, it's going to cost you nothing. It's what you're going to get. You get intimacy with me. You get the kingdom. It is so infinitely valuable, something you will never lose. It is where real joy is. That's where joy is in him. He is the source of joy. He is the author of joy. He's the one who invented joy. He is the most joyful person who ever walked the face of the earth. God is for your joy. And I don't know if we believe that as a church. I don't think, sometimes we think God is for our joy, but the scripture is clear. God is pro-joy. May the God of hope Fill you with what? All joy was what Paul says. Jesus himself says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. If you find yourself lacking joy, and joy is not happiness. Remember, these two things, they may go together, but a lot of times they are distinct. Joy is not determined by circumstances. It's determined by, by Christ. It's that contentment, that satisfaction, that resting in him. If you find yourself lacking in joy, then it's probably because you've chosen unwisely or you're choosing unwisely. You think this is gonna bring me joy, getting this, getting that, getting this. And when you get it, it brings a little bit of joy for a little bit of time and then it's gone. And then you're searching for something else, right? And this is why I think the message of the first parable Jesus told that Clint unpacked a few weeks ago, the, the soils, these are all related. Remember the message of the kingdom goes out. Some soil falls on the road and the birds come. That's Satan. And Satan has taken the seed from some of y'all because you don't believe the message of the kingdom. You believe Satan who's saying, God is not for you. If you follow him, it's gonna cost you plenty. And what you really need to go is over here and do what you want, right? Or, then, or it's rocky. You say, okay, I'm in with Jesus, but then things don't go your way. Things don't go the way you think because it's man-centered Christianity. And when things go sideways, you're like, I'm out because this is not what I signed up for. Or maybe it's just stuff is just so clouding your view of the kingdom because I gotta, I gotta have that new Tesla, I gotta have the new, I gotta have the new, I gotta have the new. What if I lose this, what if I lose? And so you lose sight of the value of the kingdom. And it really all comes down to this. Who are you going to believe? You're gonna believe Jesus or are you gonna believe the devil, right? Here's the king of kings, the lover of your soul, the savior of the world, the Messiah, the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and this is the devil. And think about all his names. The slanderer, the accuser of the brethren, the liar, the dragon. You're gonna choose the dragon 
or the king, right? That's what it comes down to. Who are you gonna believe? Because, because Jesus is over here saying, one day you will stand before me. And what I want to tell you, what I desire and I dream for you is to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's what he wants. And what he wants is to destroy you and to make your life miserable and to bring you down with him. That's what he wants. So who are we gonna believe? The question we gotta ask is, are you gonna buy the field? Will you buy the field? And again, I'm not, don't press the parable. I'm not saying you have to buy your way into the kingdom. I'm saying, are you gonna treasure that which is most treasured? Am I, right? Are you gonna view five, 10,000 years down the road or five minutes down the road? And, and I think, just to sit here before we jump in real quick, the last one, the last one's quick, I promise. But this, you need to sit and get with the Holy Spirit this week and have the courage to say, show me where I'm at. What am I treasuring? What am I valuing? Where am I at, Lord? Would I buy the field? And be honest. And it's a chance for you to be open and honest before God and let him lay you bare. That's hard, but that's where we need to be. Because I don't even know what this looks like for you. I don't have like some specific point. Go read your Bible, pray, and you know, eat unleavened bread and you'll be happy. No, I, no, you need to get alone with the Savior of the world, let the Holy Spirit speak to you and show you where you're not treasuring him. And that's what you need to do this week. Because there is an urgency to this. This, there's, this, this, is, not, this, this is real. This isn't a game. This is the last parable. And this is where I wanna go. You choose the future, you choose for joy, and you choose with urgency. Because it's not a game. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. This is a very similar parable to the one Clint unpacked last week with the field. It's using the image of a, of a fisherman. They didn't use kind of rod and reel. They used a net. They'd cast the net and you'd bring everything in. You got crabs, you got everything else in there. You got bad fish and you got fish that you could eat, fish you could sell at the market. And so what it says is just like a fisherman's gonna take, okay, this is a good fish, a sea bass we'll put it over here. This is a junk fish. We're gonna put this over in the bad pile. And again, don't press the parable. It's not saying the angels are gonna eat us one day after they separate us, okay? That's not what it's saying. But it is saying that in the end, there will be those in the good pile and there'll be those in the bad pile. And this pile is the joy pile and this pile is the judgment pile. And I know we like to say, oh, Jesus is loving. He doesn't talk about judgment. Jesus talks about judgment more than any other person in the Bible. He does it again here. And he speaks to the reality. He says, it will be at the end of the age when the angels come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's the joy and there's the judgment because there's an urgency. And there's an urgency because you don't know when that net's coming for you. You could live to 95 and die of natural causes. You know, you see that I've died of natural causes. There's nothing natural about death, by the way. It's not the way God intended it. Death is a result of sin. But you're, it could be an aneurysm as a 19-year-old or a guy swerving on Duran Avenue at the last minute and you don't have time to get out of the way. Or it could be Jesus coming back himself. It could be any of those things. It's an urgency to it. The point is, don't wait till tomorrow to buy the field. I'll buy that tomorrow. Banks are closed anyway. I gotta talk to my accountant. I gotta get a good rate. No, he says, buy the field. And this is how he closes. He says to the disciples, and I love this. This is my favorite verse in, the, in this text. He says, have you understood all these things? And they lie through their teeth. No, we get it. Do you really get it? You don't really get it, but that's okay. They get what they can at this point. But do you get it? Yeah, we get it. And he said, okay, if you get it, therefore... 
Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, that's them. He said, you're, you're a scribe now. You've been trained. I'm teaching you about the kingdom. I've taught you about the kingdom. You're like a master of the house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. The idea there is, it's, for, it's kind of first century. It's, okay, if you know it, then do it. That's the idea. You're the master of the house now. Go do it. Take it from here and get it to here. That's the idea. And they do. They go and teach us. That's why we have the New Testament. Right? But that's the challenge for us. It's not enough for me to stay up here and say, buy the field, go do this. It's, yeah, we know that Jesus is worth it. We acknowledge it. Now let's say, okay, what do I need to do when I leave this place today? What do I need to do? How do I need to cultivate my relationship with Jesus? What do I need to say no to that I've been saying yes to? What do I need to sacrifice now for future? What do I need to choose to invest in now that I haven't been? Don't leave with it here saying, yeah, that's great, treasure. Leave with it here saying, let's go, let's roll. Choose wisely, right? Because there's an urgency, right? Because just like, just like Indiana Jones, the cup, the true cup will bring you life. But the false cup will take it from you. So choose wisely. Choose for the one, for the future. Choose for joy and choose with urgency. And again, this is the beauty of this parable as we close is this. This is for the $5 biggie bag guy and this is for the $50 million guy. It's all the same. Choose for that which lasts. Choose the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. And again, I've said this the first service and I'll remind you guys, the reason we have worship and response afterwards is to give you an opportunity just to sit and think and pray. And if there's repentance, great. Because we have a God that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So this, this will be your opportunity to do that. If you just need to celebrate, man, I'm all in on the field. I want to double down. This is the time to do that. This is the time for you and God and this church to together respond to the word of God, to, to like the master of the house, bring out the new and the old. It's your chance. And so don't waste it. Don't just, okay, we got two songs and I know we're out. No, no, use this time to connect. You're gonna go out into the busyness of the world. Tybee will be there. It's too late. You ain't getting a parking spot anyway, so you might as well not even try. So why don't you sit with God, the Holy Spirit, with the people of God and let him speak to you and move you in a way that maybe you need to be moved right now. Let me pray. Why don't you stand? Father, use your word to make us more like your son, to treasure him who is our treasure. Whatever you want to do in your people, Lord. That's, that's you. That's, you know where we're each at. You know where I'm at. Help us to take it from our head to our heart. Um, to treasure you above all else. Only then will we be the salt of the earth. Only then will we be the light of the world. Uh, so thank you for loving us. We love you because you first love us. You sought us. You pursued us. You opened our eyes to you. And so now let us live in light of that. It's in Christ's name I pray.